We just got to take a, uh, a trip uh, celebrating our 24th anniversary, so I missed the big, uh, thank you. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you for giving us space to be away, to um, engage in our marriage. It was a wonderful time away. And to come back here today and to see the red carpet gone is pretty awesome for me. I mean, pretty awesome. I mean, the Holy Spirit is here. Um, Thank you, Ryan. Will you always sit on the front row? Uh, okay. Uh, would you turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy? Uh, we are going to be starting a new series uh, today uh, in the letters to Timothy from the Apostle Paul, uh, appointed to service, fight the good fight, fulfill your ministry. We spent all of last year in the Gospel of Matthew, and our approach in the Gospel of Matthew was chapter to chapter. And then we spent this summer, that our series Abe Today, from Abraham to King David, kind of a, a really a, a, an overview of God's salvation history uh, all the way to Jesus. Um, so it's been a while since we've done uh, what's kind of called an expository teaching uh, method here, but it's really the lane that I prefer. And what I mean by that, if that's a new phrase for you, is really a verse-by-verse -verse slow journey uh, through a book of the Bible. And so we're going to take our time in these letters uh, to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. Certainly we'll start with 1 Timothy. We'll go to 2 Timothy. We'll be here all fall. We'll be here probably all spring. And I'm really excited uh, about this journey uh, with you guys. Let me give you some context of uh, who is Paul, who is Timothy, and who is, and who is Ephesus, or where is Ephesus. We'll start there, and then we'll talk briefly about the purpose of the book. Uh, and then I will identify three themes of the letters in general. So today is really a beginning overview of both of the books. And then next week we'll kind of begin the journey kind of verse by verse uh, in the story. Who is Paul, right? Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Let's just get some context on him briefly. Uh, Pharisee of the Jewish faith. Um, his Jewish credentials uh, are top shelf. Uh, basketball kind of joke when it came to following rules. Paul, he got game. I mean, he could, he could check the boxes. No laughter on that. It's fine. I'm still going to go. I don't care. Um, he loved the rules. He loved the traditions. Judaism, Pharisee. Um, in Philippians 3, he explains why if anyone had any reason to believe that they could be saved by their adherence to Judaism or the tenets of the Mosaic law, uh, it was him. He was like, I'm top shelf. I'm the guy around Judaism. He said this about himself, Philippians 3. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. I mean, the guy was serious about religion, right? Um, a lot of his story is unpacked in the book of Acts. In Acts 7, 8, 9, go back and read through some of those narratives later. Uh, you'll see that Paul was uh, literally a persecutor and a murderer of new covenant Christians. It's the first century church. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends back to heaven to be with the Father until God sends him again for the second coming. The new covenant church has been inaugurated, the birth of 
the church and Paul was there persecuting Christians and murdering them. In Acts chapter 9, the famous narrative story of Paul's miraculous conversion along the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. And in that, in that narrative, God specifically calls Paul not to preach the gospel to Jews, but to preach the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jews. Um, his identity, his whole life, so rooted in Judaism, but after his dramatic conversion, his new identity is a follower of Jesus. And he spends uh, most of his ministry, a lot of his ministry, dismantling the idea that in order to have saving faith in Jesus, um, Gentiles must first become Jewish. And then they can follow Jesus. He literally wrote a whole gospel, uh, New Testament, not gospel, but a New Testament letter called Galatians is on that particular topic, that you don't become Jewish to become a Christian. In fact, you sever your relationship with the law to become a follower of Jesus. Um, he goes famously uh, on three missionary journeys, the second half of the book of Acts. This uh, slide here just shows all of the different journeys uh, that he went on all around the Mediterranean, and all these journeys were specific to church planting, uh, planting new covenant, identity in Christ, freedom in grace, churches just like this church. Um, and so he writes letters to Timothy. Um, he's a missionary. He's a church planter, and he's writing to his friend, his son in the faith, Timothy, who was the leader Timothy was the leader of the church in Ephesus. So if you can see the right screen, that's Ephesus right there. And if you're looking at the left screen, Ephesus is right there. And what you'll notice about Ephesus on the map is that the second journey, his second missionary journey, and the third missionary journey goes right through Ephesus. And so Timothy was there. Well, who was Timothy? 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, Paul calls Timothy his true son, in the faith. Uh, we don't know for sure, but it's highly likely that in Paul's first missionary journey, he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven is, is, has been made, made known uh, by the Messiah Jesus, that Timothy most likely became a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Paul in the first journey. We don't know that for sure because it's not given to us in the narrative of Acts. But what we do know about Timothy uh, is in Acts 16. You don't need to turn there, but let me read to you Acts chapter 16, the first few verses. This is the first specific mention of Timothy and how he came into the story with the Apostle Paul. So uh, Acts 16, he, Paul, came to Derbe and then to Lystra, Lystra, the hometown of Timothy, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess, she was Jewish, and a, and a believer, and whose father was Greek. And the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. They spoke well of Timothy. And Paul wanted to take Timothy along on the journey, specifically his second missionary journey. And so they traveled from town to town and then delivered the decisions reached by the apostles, the other apostles and elders in the church in Jerusalem. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. This is the first mention of Timothy in the New Testament. So that's Acts 16. You keep reading in the story along down to uh, Acts 18 and 19. The two were working really, really closely 
together in ministry. And so it's this young dude, right? It's this young dude in this town, and this guy comes from Jerusalem. He proclaims the message of Jesus. This young dude becomes a follower of Jesus, and then now he's following Paul, um, spreading the message. He is a he is a fisher of men now with Paul. Uh, the first disciples, Jesus said famously, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Paul is a new believer, and now he is on gospel mission, and now Timothy is along with him, fisher of men. I just got to go fishing this past week for the first time in Wyoming. We slayed some fish. I learned this. You set the hook, and you strip it, and you slay them, and we did, and it was awesome. That doesn't have anything to do with this, but it was awesome. I see why fishing becomes addictive, because we were catching big hogs. That's what they called them, big hogs. I digress. I digress. Again, notice on the map where these two fishers of men were traveling in the second and third journey, right through Ephesus. They're working closely together. Um, 1 Thessalonians 3, trust was so built and empowerment was given that Timothy began to be sent out on individual missions. Like when discipleship starts, it's like, follow me as I'm following Jesus. Like, I'm going to I'm going to show you how we're doing this, and then I'm going I'm to watch you do it, and then ultimately I'm going to send you to do the work yourself. Uh, that was Paul's relationship with Timothy. We see in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2, Paul says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. This is discipleship happening in this relationship, and they were very, very close with each other. Um, little known fact about Timothy. Um, he co-authored five New Testament letters of Paul. We, we typically, if you've been around church, you grew up in church, you know, like, or you've heard like, oh, the Apostle Paul wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, and that's true, but did you know that Timothy was a co-author of five letters? If you go to 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians or first or second Thessalonians in verse one of every letter it says Paul and Timothy you know that that was something I learned this week I was like how did I miss that I never paid attention to that they work together in writing these letters Timothy is a really really empowered minister of the gospel and so Paul the missionary writes these letters to Timothy his true son in the faith who is giving leadership, specific leadership, to the church in Ephesus. And these are letters instructing a friend on what he needs to do in the town where he is leading the church of Jesus. It's very practical. A lot of practical instruction from Paul to Timothy. Well, who is Ephesus? Capital city, uh, capital city of Roman Asia Minor. Really important city, wealthy, leading commercial center. Location, location, location. Very strategic city for Paul to plant a church to reach Gentiles because it was flooded with Gentiles, polytheistic Gentiles. What, what made Ephesus famous in this time, certainly um, it was a strategic city, leading commercial center, but the reality of Ephesus, what was called the Grand Temple of Artemis, a goddess, the goddess of fertility, who was to be worshipped. And every, when you, when you 
if you go if you go after today and you read about ancient Ephesus and the um, uh, the Grand Temple of Artemis, you will read and you will find uh, the writers talking about the influence of this goddess and the cult that was attached to her permeated every area of life in Ephesus. And not only just the Temple of Artemis, there were 50 other, 50 plus other temples in Ephesus to 50 other deities. And so it was lots of Gentiles and it was polytheism on polytheism, poly many theism God, many gods, very um, polytheistic culture. And it was a dark, it was a dark city. Um, it was known, if you read Acts chapter 9, you could write this down and read this later, it was known for magic, incantations, and formulas for conjuring up spirits. Um, and this will be an important context for us to keep in mind as we continue to uh, operate and, and study these two books, Paul and Timothy, knowing who they are, uh, is context that's really important, and that he's leading the church in Ephesus. And what Ephesus was like is really important context for us to understand what does this mean for us today in our time. Um, what is the purpose uh, of these letters? Um, it was a time of gospel advancement in the first century, and it was a period of stress. Um, Ephesus was a tough place. It was um, ground that wasn't necessarily fertile ground for church planting. It was a strategic location, but it was... Uh, it was a hard place. There was an intense opposition to the new covenant church, not just from uh, the outside of the church and the polytheism was there and the cult of Artemis, but also uh, from Jewish synagogues that were there as well. I mean, so you're getting, you're getting real press uh, from, 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 from the Jews that live there, but also a lots of intense opposition uh, from the cult of Artemis and other polytheistic um, people that were there. And so Timothy was put in charge not only to deal with the hostile people outside the church, and there were plenty of those, but also the false teaching that was already infiltrating the church. And it was an important leadership uh, position for, for Timothy. And so Paul is writing Timothy to instruct him on what uh, to do about these important things. Let me read, or if you read with me, uh, open your Bible, read along with me, 1 Timothy. I'm going to read the first four verses, and I would encourage you to uh, bring your Bibles with you. Um, we're going to be going verse by verse. I'm going to be referencing Scripture uh, when we teach, and so bring, bring it with you to church. Bring a pen with you, underline things, write down things. Uh, that, I believe, will help you in your study of these uh, books um, as, we, as we get into the so let me read the first four verses. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, a letter specific to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And then Jesus begins to pour blessing on Timothy. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then verse 3, as I urged you, when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. He's reminding him when he left, and this is in Acts chapter 20, he left and he, Paul knew that he would not return to Ephesus. And he urged Timothy, stay in Ephesus. It's going to be hard. Don't pull the ripcord. When it gets hard, your call, I'm, I'm calling you to stay. And he's reminding him 
of that call to stay in Ephesus. I urge you to stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. If you have um, a pen or a pencil, put a box around by faith. Like Paul summarizes God's work by those two words. God's work is by faith. Um, He had previously, Paul had previously written a letter, Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. And one of the things that he wrote to the church in Ephesus that's connected to this statement, by faith, he said in Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace that you have been saved by faith. It is by grace that you have been saved by faith. Like he's already promoted, this is the true reality of the gospel. It is not of yourselves so that no man may boast. It is a gift from God to you. It is by grace, faith, Jesus. Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone. This is the gospel. And it is to be contended for and fought for. And this is all present tense. Like when you read the language of the first four verses of what we just read, everything is present tense. Meaning, this is not something that Paul is trying to get Timothy ready to do. The fight was already on the ground. Like, I urge you to stay, and the fight is now for what? God's work, which is what? Faith in Jesus alone. So fighting the good fight of faith. Um, Acts 20, um, Paul predicts exactly what was already happening in Ephesus. He's um, He's leaving Ephesus. It's that famous passage where the Ephesian elders, and they're all at the shoreline, and Paul's about to get in the boat, and it says they all wept. And they all embraced, and they all kissed, and it was like, just, they were grieving the departure of Paul leaving them. And in that context, Paul predicts two things. To the the leaders in Ephesus, he predicts that savage wolves would invade the flock. And he predicted that others from within the church would rise up in opposition. And the statement or the exhortation to Timothy and to the church leaders was, be on your guard. Be on your guard. We are contending for the true faith, Jesus alone, faith alone, grace alone. Um, so that's the purpose. That's the purpose of the letter. Um, what are some themes? Um, I, I, there's probably a lot of different themes. I have boiled down over the last few weeks like three themes that I'm just going to kind of give a meta-narrative overview that, that we're going to land on. And I hope these will be three themes that we can continue to grab onto as we get into the study. But uh, three themes uh, in the study are going to be uh, these. We are fighting for faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. The deity of Christ is so essential and important. So there's a theme of, of the deity of Christ. God's salvation is in Jesus alone. Secondly, uh, Christ's salvation is for all people, not for some people, for all people, who in Jesus, and then thirdly, uh, our theology and our integrity matters. Um, He said this in uh, verse 4, like in terms of the deity of Christ, it's not about myths and genealogies and following all these things, it's really in Jesus alone, believing rightly that Jesus is fully human and fully divine is core Christian belief. Uh, The statement is uh, one person, Jesus, 
two natures. The deity of Christ. He didn't become a God. Jesus was God from the very beginning of time. He was the creator. He was there at the creation. And so understanding and believing and knowing rightly that Jesus is one person, two natures, is really, really essential and it must be fought for and contended for. A really uh, kind of the famous passage in the New Testament on this doctrine or on this belief is Philippians chapter 2. And that you'll hear like the two natures in this verse. And Paul says this to the church in Philippi, being being in very nature God, fully divine, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, one person, two natures. Here's the reality of like core Christian belief. Uh, You walk away from the truth that Jesus is Messiah, that he is fully human in nature and fully divine in nature and one person, you, you walk away from Christianity altogether. This certainly was some of the false teaching that was infiltrating the church that Paul is calling Timothy to contend against. God has made his salvation known in Jesus, period. The saving work of Christ is not to be separated or subordinated to the saving work of God. The saving work of God is Jesus. It is Jesus, and this is to be proclaimed and fought for. Um, There's a phrase in these letters, and you'll see it come up in a few different places, where Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And it is the good fight of faith, the deity of Christ, one person nature salvation is in jesus alone so that's a theme we'll see that again and again another theme is christ's salvation is for all people not some people Um, these letters are really practical and they're mainly concerned with the missionary task of the church it's really practical and so we're going to be reading and studying and being equipped and empowered to understand for us what does it look like for us to embrace the truth that you are a missionary. Uh, you, it's the priesthood of all the believers and that we're all ministers. Y'all with me right now? It's not just me because I wear a white collar and I robe when I preach. Just kidding, I'll never wear, wear a white, ro- white collar or a robe. Nothing against that. I'm just not going to do it. Um, but we're all, we're, we all own this. And the missionary task of the church is that Christ and his grace has been revealed to the whole world. Um, if you still have First Timothy open, Look at uh, verse 15 in chapter 1. Paul says, Here is a trustworthy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Like it is a message for the world. I want to show, show you one more thing um, in this around it's for all people, not some people. Turn over in your Bible a couple of pages to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 8 and 10 in just a minute. But before we get there, I want to talk with you about a figure of speech uh, that is in these verses uh, called metan... uh, I said this right in the first... Metonymy. I said it right. There we go. Metonymy. Uh, And metonymy is a figure of speech. The Greek word means change of name. And here's what it means. You substitute the name of an attribute... For that of the thing or the person. So, for example, you might say, instead of calling it the king, 
you might call it the crown. You would substitute an attribute or a thing for a person. You're all with me right now? And so we're going to see metonymy in these verses, and you'll, you'll see what does Paul use, an attribute, in place of saying the name Jesus, um, with in mind what we're talking about right now, that Christ's salvation is for all people. If I lost you, are you with me? You with me? Sort of? Sort of, K-Dog? Okay, you with me? All right, good. All right, here we go. Let's read this. 8 to 10. Paul says, to Timothy, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do do you think that Timothy was probably suffering in this context, like he had just said in chapter one, I urge you to stay. And now he's saying, you've got to join me in the suffering. He's empowering him to go through the hard reality of being a missionary in a hard place. Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But now it has now been revealed. It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Do you see the metonymy in Paul's theology. I'm going to point this out for you. If you have your Bible open, in verse 10 it says, it has now been revealed. He doesn't, he doesn't personalize that to Jesus. He says it. Well, what's the context of it? It's verse 9. Verse 9 where he says, this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus. But it, what's the it? Grace. The metonymy in Paul's theology is that You can talk about Jesus or you can talk about grace because they're one in the same reality. And what's so cool about this verse is he says that this grace has been revealed, a revelation of grace so that we would know that the gospel is to all people. Grace has been revealed in Jesus. I'm a grace preacher, so I get excited about this stuff. Get excited about this, right? Titus, another pastoral letter. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Grace has appeared. Grace is not a theology. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And we need more revelation of grace in our lives to understand that it's for all people, even the worst of sinners, which Paul says, I'm the first in line. So if you think you're the worst of sinners, Paul would hip check the fire out of you. And he would say, no, 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 no. I am the worst. And grace has been revealed to me. And now I am proclaiming it to you so that you would understand the power of God and the gospel of grace. Come on, church. His grace is for all people, even the worst of sinners like me. I will hip check the fire out of you as well. Third um, theme 
our theology and our integrity matters. Paul is going to step on your toes in these letters. And he is not going to care about that. He is going to call you up to something beautiful and transformative in your life. It is grace working itself out into our lives. It is very practical. Theology matters. Practical theology, our lives, our integrity also really matters. Um, as we read through these letters, you're going to see different topics and different language moving frequently in between doctrine uh, or theology, like right belief and practice, right living. Like it's very practical about how we live our lives. It's different. These letters are different than like Romans and Ephesians. And the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians, specifically those two, there's a really twofold division between theology and practice. So like in Romans, if you read the first 11 chapters of Romans, it is theology, doctrine, right belief over and over and over. And then when you get to chapters 12 through 16, Paul switches to exhortation and calling us to live our lives reflective of the gospel. In Ephesians, it's literally right down the middle of the book. The first three chapters, theology, doctrine, and then the last three chapters, practice. In First and Second Timothy, it is weaving in and out of all these things. And for Paul, his theology is the reality of our salvation and the power of God and the grace of God that has appeared changes our lives in the way of Jesus. It's a sincerity thing for him. And he moves in and out of these things um, as, we, uh, as we grow, as we learn, as we follow Jesus. One of the commentators that I read this week uh, had this to say about First and Second Timothy. Now, what characterizes the pastoral letters most is not doctrine, but doctrine blended with holy living. And so we're going to see this repeated insistence from Paul on ethical and moral integrity. It is direct. It is without apology from the apostle. I will say this. Paul is not a moral relativist. He is not. He does not embrace the world philosophy of hedonism. If it feels, if it feels good, do it. That is not Paul. And that is not First and Second Timothy. And so we just need to be prepared for that. He has a deep concern that Timothy and the leaders and the Christians at the church in Ephesus uh, have a connection between what they say they believe and what their lives say they believe. Are you with me right now? Like he has a deep, deep concern about a congruence between what we say and how we live and they're in alignment with one another. And this is not a legalistic matter for Paul. Paul is a new covenant, grace and freedom fighter. He is anti-legalism over and over and over again. He is a grace preacher. This is not legalism for Paul. It is a sincerity issue for Paul. Paul believes this, that a true believer, follower of Jesus, they will 
over the course of time, they will work out in their lives what God has worked into our hearts by his grace. Like it will manifest over time. Our lives will be transformed. We will be conformed more and more and more to the likeness of Jesus. He says that in Romans 8.29. Here's verse 5. We'll close here for this morning. The goal of this command, this is not about legalism. The goal of this command is love. The goal of the command is love, which comes from a pure heart. Not that you have earned a pure heart, but that God has given that to you by his grace and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Um, I think some of us um, need to, myself included, have a little bit of a more robust understanding of the word faith, right? We just read it in verse 4. Uh, do not get caught up in myths and genealogies. That just, that just promotes controversies. Like what we need to hone in on is God's work, and God's work is faith in Jesus alone by his grace. That's the work. That's what we're contending for. That's what we're fighting for. Faith is not only used, it certainly is believing, believing in Jesus, right? It's trusting in God, trusting in Jesus, certainly is that, but also faith is used to describe our lives being lived out in the way of Jesus. Like it's trusting and believing, and it's seeing that faith and belief work itself out into our actual lives. And Paul is intensely concerned with a sincere witness of both doctrine and lives aligning together to be a witness to a really lost place of the gospel. For Paul, it's not about works for life. It's not doing good works for to earn something, to get something. Life is only found in Jesus by his grace. It is about sincere works coming from our new life. It's a difference between for and from. So it's not works for life. We have already been given new life in Jesus by his grace. It's works coming from that new life. Over the course of time, our minds are transformed and our lives are transformed. Um, again, what characterizes uh, the pastoral letters most is not doctrine, but doctrine blended with holy living. Uh, it's not about our perfection. It's not going to be perfect. There was one perfect person his name is Jesus. It ain't about perfection, but it is about our love. It is about love, receiving love and be a conduit of love. It is about transformation. It's not about perfection, but it is about love. It is about transformation. Um, anybody ever read any Brennan Manning in here? He's a little bit older, uh, older of a writer. Some of us older people in the room are raising our hands. He wrote a book called Abba once that was really transformative for me. You young people, Get, get on some Brendan Manning. Seriously, go, go get Abba and read it. Like he, he's a, man, he'll, he'll shake you up in grace. It's, he's awesome. But one, when, when we have this conversation together around a, a more robust understanding of faith, it's not just mental assent. It's not just believing and trusting in Jesus. It's actually seeing our lives, faith is our lives being transformed. Like I always think about this quote. And I know this quote, I've always remembered this quote, not necessarily because of a Brennan Manning book that I read, but because of a DT, DC Talk song. <laughs> Toby Mac, Toby Mac, there's this guy at my gym, he looks just like Toby Mac. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh my God, that guy looks just like Toby Mac. Anyway, uh, and there's a Toby Mac song, DC Talk song, and this Brennan Manning quote is in that song. And I always think about this, and I want to close here. Here's the quote. 
the single greatest cause of atheism today are Christians who proclaim Jesus with their lips but deny Jesus with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I'm so excited for this series. Uh, I am hopeful and I am expectant because I believe that the word of God is living and active and that we are a people thirsty for the spirit and hungry for the word. And so I'm hopeful and I'm expectant that this series will be useful for instruction in our lives uh, and for conviction and for correction, useful for correction and useful for training us up in righteousness. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, we are expectant and we are hopeful that your living and active word and these letters that were written from Paul to Timothy about a specific church in Ephesus would change us truly, Lord, that we would be equipped, that we would be corrected, that we would be changed, that we would be trained, that we would be different, that we would become more like Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that our faith would become more robust, more authentic, more sincere, and that there would be greater alignment, not because we're legalistic people, but because we're the free people of God. And we want more freedom and more grace and more transformation because it changes our lives and it empowers us to see more people come to the table of grace. We pray for that, Lord, and we're just grateful for each person in this room, in this church family that we have together and the opportunity we have to go root, to, to root ourselves deeper in your love for us. The command, the command is love and that command is not burdensome. And so Lord, we receive it by faith in Jesus name. Amen.